0: the premise and the promise of the new year. Um, There's, I don't know, it's something about the countdown, there's something about that moving from one year to the next, this, this movement from old to new. It's always been something that I've been drawn to. Though, admittedly, the older I get, I begin looking for other time zones to celebrate New Year's, right? You know, Happy New Year, Greenland and Newfoundland! You know, so I just, keep, I just keep finding earlier and earlier opportunities to celebrate. What I like about New Year's and why I'm drawn to it is that there's this premise and there's this promise, there's this symbolism in the new year of, of a fresh start, that you can, actually, you can actually embark upon that day and that things could be different than they were the day before. I don't know if you're like me, but I look at the old year as a metaphor of those things in my life which can be described as scars and strains and struggles. It's really a painful reminder of those things which are keeping me from being fully and faithfully formed in the likeness of Jesus. The new year is is a new day, it's a a new start, It's it's a new chance for all things to be new, but we all know that the scars and the strains and the struggles, they follow us from the festivities and the fireworks of the old year right into the new. We wake up that next day and Those things that we struggle with, those things that strain us, those things that are scars in our life, they've not gone away. I mean, in reality, nothing has really changed. The sun has simply gone down one day and come up the next, and yet among the scars and the strains and the struggles of old, there remains this It's a hope. It's an expectation of change just from the symbolism of a new start, a new day. Last year, we began a series in Paul's letter to Titus. We were exploring the work of the gospel in our lives to to do two things, to save us and to shape us. Now, our message from Titus 3 was interrupted by Advent, and I hope that you will agree with me that this interruption for Advent was meaningful and something important for us to observe as a church together. And so, with the new year before us, we return to our series, Refreshed, We have an entire year to make it through five verses. Now, today I want to get back into our series, not just to finish what we started, though that's important, but I want to come back to this text, I want to come back to this series because I want us to be reminded of our desperate need for the work of the gospel in our lives. Myron kids me that I only have one message, but he's right, because our message as Christ followers is to live each day allowing the gospel which saves us to shape us, to change us, to form us into the image of Christ. Now, in the first couple of verses of Titus 3, we have two reminders. The first reminder is a reminder of a life that once was. It's a reminder of of how we used to be and how we should be. The first couple of verses, they, they talk about this reminding us of the lives that we should live because Jesus is in us because we are in Christ. And then the second one is a reminder of the way that we used to live. So, so it starts with, here's the life you should live because you're in Christ, and don't forget, this is the life that you were living before Christ. So it focuses on the way that we used to live before Christ was in us and we were in Christ. There's a story that's told about St. Augustine of Hippo, who following his conversion is confronted with his sinful lifestyle of his life before Christ. Now, now some people say that the story is true, and some people say it's just part of the folklore of his life. Regardless, it it still makes a really good point. What we know about St. Augustine is that he, uh, before he was in Christ, he used to indulge in sexual sin with prostitutes. And so, as the story goes, he's walking down the street one day, and he passes a former mistress who sees him and calls out to him, but he continues to walk, doesn't stop. She continues to call and call and continues to 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 call to him, and he continues to walk away ignoring her. So she turns and pursues him and catches up with him and says to him, Augustine, it is I, to which he replies, yes, but it is not I. There's a contrast in these words when the Bible says this is how we were once. It means we're not that way anymore, that the old has gone, the new has come. So we look at this teaching in in Titus chapter 3, and we see this desperate need for something new in our life. If you have your Bibles, look at verse 3, which says, for we ourselves were once foolish Disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. I mean, in some way, some shape, some form, these six descriptive things, they do describe the reality of our old way of life for each of us. In, in the Bible, the old way of life is a metaphor for a life before Christ, which is characterized as a life of rebellion, a life of resistance, and a life of reproach. Now, in verse 3, we see six descriptions. These are markers, if you will, of an old way of life. Foolish, disobedient, led astray, Slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. So I guess the first thing I want you to see is that it's not supposed to be a competition, nor is it supposed to be a comparison. Because competition and comparison in these first five things always leads to or results in proving the sixth thing to be true, hating others and hated by others. Now, this simple, symbolic passing of one year to the next, from one day to another, from one sunset to one sunrise, it cannot bring about the newness of life that we so desperately need. It's impossible. Now, the Bible uses the metaphor newness of life to talk about life with Christ or our life in Christ. And what we realize is that we need more than a simple, symbolic movement from one year to another for our lives to really change. We need the spiritual reality of passing from death to life, of leaving behind our old life to live in the fullness and the reality of the new life. This is why baptism is such an important rite and ritual for those who want to belong to Christ. In baptism, we are buried with Christ, and like Christ, we are raised to walk, to live in a newness of life that is in Christ. There is a power and a mystery in baptism that we do not understand. And I think that we would do a much better job if we quit having so many fights about baptism and embrace the power and the mystery of what God is trying to accomplish in our lives through baptism. He's trying to give us more than just a symbolic passing from an old way of life to a new life. It's more than just an observance from December 31st to January 1st. There is a power in what baptism does. There is a power in what it does for us, a power and a mystery that we do not fully understand. But we know that we cannot be saved unless it's by the work that Jesus has done for us. And we know that we cannot be transformed unless it's by the work that the Holy Spirit does in us. So there's a power, there's a, there's a mystery that we're called to embrace that God has chosen. God has said, this is, this is for you so that you have this moment. That's more than just symbolic, to pass from this way of life to this way of life. So, starting in verse 4, we see a description of promise and hope. I mean, it gets pretty depressing in verse 3, describing the life that we once lived. But there's a, there's a nearness there's a reality of change that's given to us in verse 4, which says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, Amen. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, there's something you need to understand about what this verse is teaching us, so that you may not confuse saving with shaping, shaping with saving, because sometimes it's easy to confuse the two. Now, the six things that are described in verse 3 could be describing your life even up to this December 31st, right? I mean, you could, you could say, yep, I'm one of those. Foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing your days in malice and envy, you hate others and they hate you. There, there's a part of that that, that, that could be true. I mean, it could have been true of your life this last December 31st, right? And you could have woken up on January 1st, and you could have said, I'm going to change. I'm going to change. This is no longer going to be true about me. And by sheer effort and willpower, you could change every single one of those things. You could I mean, that could be your New Year's resolution, right? I resolve to no longer be foolish. I mean, you could just go through the list. You can even Panera it if you want to and just pick two, right? You say, I'm going to, those two things, I'm going to just, boy, that's what I'm going to do. You know, and I'm going to focus every effort of my life to change those two things. And you know what would happen? You could spend all year long on that, and you would be a nicer person You would be a kinder person. You would be a moral person the next December 31st. You could look back on this entire year and you could list each one of your accomplishments. They would be for you righteous actions. They would be works done by you in righteousness. But the problem is the Bible says that even our works of righteousness are nothing but filthy rags. You could self-shape your own life by your own will, but you can't self-save yourself by your own righteousness. Something else has to happen in your life. Now, don't hear me say that it doesn't matter how you live, because it matters how you live. That's why that very first description is foolish. We understand it differently in English, but when the Bible talks about foolish, it's a life that has complete disregard for everyone else and what anybody has to say, and they're going to do what they want to do, when they want to do it, and you have to deal with the consequences. That's a pretty severe life. So hear me say, it does matter how you live. But I'm saying there is a difference between our actions as actions of righteousness that are about us as a person and about our shaping our formation and are about our salvation. That's why people have an allergic reaction to works and they extend it to everything. They say, no, we're saved by grace, which is true. But it's what we're saved by grace to do is what matters. So what you do matters. I'm saying we can't dismiss this reality, for we ourselves were once. Only a life that is surrendered to the accomplished work of Jesus results in salvation. And only a life that is surrendered to the work of the Holy Spirit results in transformation. Now, this is why I want to come back and finish this series. Because Titus 3 is not just a reminder of a life that once was. It's also trying to help us if you look at your life right now and you see that it's describing a life that still is. So what if your life is a life that still is? There's no easy answer to give here. There's no five-step, all-you-have-to-do solution that can address a life that still is. You can go through rituals. You can go through steps. You can do this. You can do that. At some level, this idea of salvation is within our grasp because we're placing our life in the life of Jesus, but this idea of transformation is so elusive to us because somewhere along the way we get fed this lie that we have to do it ourselves. That it's about what we do and the things that we do to accomplish this. And so, I mean, there's no easy answer. And I don't really think that someone who could give you an easy answer, I don't think they really understand the question. We know that in Christ our failures are forgiven. And I'm going to amen myself right there. Amen! I mean, we know that in Christ our failures are forgiven. We know that but we also know that our flaws remain. Our failures are forgiven, but our flaws remain and will remain until Jesus returns and heaven invades earth. Lord, come quickly. So what do we do until then? How do we move from the way we used to be toward the way we should be? Now, in last year, in 2022, we set out as a church to focus on three things be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. In 2023, this year, this is still our focus. We are not now moving on to whatever the next thing is, because in some ways, This is the only thing. The pursuit of Jesus, pursuing Him, pursuing who He is, living out the reality of what He has done for us. This is part of the journey of moving from the way we used to be toward the way we should be. So I fear that our tendency, our impulse is two things. One, We want to know what the next thing is. What's the next thing? Yeah, 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 we did that last year. We practiced the way of Jesus. What's the next thing? You know, and this year, all kinds of books and campaigns and all that stuff is going to flood the church marketplace. Hey, do this, do this, do this, do this. So I fear our tendency as people is like, okay, well, let's try something else. But the second tendency that that I fear is that That we spend so very little time on be with Jesus in our hurry to become and do. It's like the become and do becomes the point rather than the be with Jesus. And, And you cannot have any significant spiritual transformation unless you commit in your life to be with Jesus, to be with Him to seek his heart, to search his heart. So, this is why, first, simplistic answers about salvation are, are ineffective because they confuse salvation with shaping and shaping with salvation. The power of the gospel, which is in regards to salvation, it addresses an eternal question it answers an eternal question the power of the gospel for salvation says in Jesus Christ you have been rescued you have been delivered you have been redeemed that the title of your life has been transferred that ownership of who you are has been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light that's what the power of the gospel says the work that it does in salvation in our lives but the power of the gospel in regards to our shaping, our formation, it's trying to address or, or, or answer the question of sin both as a behavioral issue but also as an identity issue. And, and sin as a behavior is addressed because of the cross. It's by the washing of regeneration of the Holy Spirit. And sin as a behavior and sin as an identity is addressed because of the cross. Because of the washing of the renewal of the Holy Spirit. This is why we have to get back here. Because we have to explore what this means. When it says that our new life, those who are in Christ, those who are saved, That they're in this process of transformation, of shaping that the cross does for us to address not just sin as behavior, but to address sin as identity. So we are compelled to move further and deeper into this text beyond the life that we once lived, beyond even the conjunction of verse 4, because of the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior, when it appeared, He saved us So how do you live? If your life is more still is than once was. You have to remember what it was like. You have to remember how your futility and your failure is redeemed by Jesus. You have to see Jesus who struggled and strained under the burden of the cross to bear your sin not his. You see the scars of Jesus from the beating that he took for you. You see the scars, the imprints, that the crown of thorns that he wore for you. You see the scars on his nail, that the nails, when they pierced his hands and his feet, those scars that are there for you. You see the mark in his side from the sword which pierced his side for you. And you live from this reality for him. Don't you see? We were foolish. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and by his wounds we are healed. We were disobedient, but surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. We, like sheep, were led astray. All of us have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to his and her own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We were slaves to various passions and pleasures. We devoted our days to malice and envy. And he was oppressed because of this. He was led like a lamb to be sacrificed, to be slaughtered because of the way that we live. And yet, he did not open his mouth like a sheep that is silent before his shearers. He did not open his mouth. We were hated by others and hating one another. And he was despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, as one from whom men hide their faces. He was so despised. And even though he's on the cross for us, we esteemed him not. Scars and struggles on the way, but with joy our hearts can say, yes, our hearts can say, never once did we ever walk alone. Never once did you leave us on our own. Why? Because you are faithful, God. You are faithful. Let's pray. Father, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit, who is here, is present, that your Holy Spirit works in our hearts. If nothing else today, just to, to show us a glimpse of what our life could be if only we would surrender ourselves to you. May we have that same faith and courage that it took to surrender our life to you for salvation. Let us surrender to you for transformation. And Lord, you know if there's someone here today who has not yet surrendered to you. And I pray that your spirit would move in their heart as well, that you would draw them to the cross where we stand together and proclaim how great you are. We pray through Christ. Amen. Would you stand, as our shepherds and their wives are in the spaces of this room and up front, as we sing together, if, we, if you need to respond to Jesus, this is the time for this. If you need prayers on your behalf, we ask that you do that as well.